Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and a host of your program. This is the 11th episode of Season 12, and our theme this season is Organ Donation and Transplantation. I'm very excited today to feature Melanie Slavinsky. Today's show is entitled Life Thanks to the Berlin Heart Prior to Transplantation. Melanie Slavinsky is a heart mom and an advocate for Xavier, a young man who has had two heart transplants. Xavier was born on February 12, 2003, with cardiomyopathy. He required a heart transplant, which he received on August 11, 2003. Xavier did incredibly well, but in the summer of 2012, he needed to be relisted due to transplant coronary artery disease. During his wait for his second transplant, Xavier and Melanie lived in a cardiac intensive care unit at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, also known as CHOP. Xavier spent seven days on ECMO. He was then transitioned to the Berlin Heart biventricular assist device and remained on that until he received his second donor heart. During his wait, Xavier suffered two strokes but was able to have successful thrombectomies, which is where blood clots are removed to reduce the damage that could be caused by a stroke. Xavier recovered beautifully and with very minimal side effects. He received the gift of life on January 13, 2013 at the age of nine. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Melanie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm so happy to talk to you today and to learn more about the Berlin Heart and thrombectomies and a child who has had two transplants at such a young age. This is going to be a great show. So let's get right into it. Poor little Xavier has had quite the medical history in his short life. Yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing to me what he has been through. You told me that he received his first transplant at the tender age of six months. How soon after birth was he put on the transplant list? He had a couple months. He was listed about a week before he actually received his transplant. So it was pretty fast for him. That is really fast. So can you tell us a little bit more about what cardiomyopathy is? Cardiomyopathy is kind of a, it's it's a broad diagnosis. It basically means muscular disease of the heart. His in particular started off as a weak squeeze and over time his heart became enlarged. Okay. Tell us about his birth. Did he have a traumatic birth? Yes. Unfortunately, his shoulder got stuck on my pelvis and he was crowned for 40 minutes. During that 40 minutes time, they started to lose his heart rate. He ended up having a massive heart attack. And then after he was born, he required four minutes of CPR. Oh my goodness. That must have been terrifying for you. Yeah. I say that it's basically the happiest and scariest day of my life. Wow. He was crowned for 40 minutes? Yeah. And they didn't do a C-section on you? No, at that point, it was kind of too late. I begged for a C-section. I'm sure uh, you did. 
Yeah, it was it was twenty hour back labor, and oh. once they started to lose his heart rate, we knew that things were getting very serious. But for some reason, they just refused to give me the C sections. Oh my goodness! So the baby is finally born after what must seem like an eternity for you. Yeah, was he blue when he was born? Yeah, I affectionately called him my blueberry baby. He had Aww. beautiful strawberry blonde hair, but he was completely blue. His APGAR score was zero when he was born. <gasps> oh my gosh. So they yeah. whisked him away immediately to do the CPR then, right? Yeah. When did you get to see him? I saw him for maybe a few seconds, and then they took him away for a couple hours. At first, they said they think that there might be something wrong, but they weren't sure. And then when they came back to me a few hours later, that's when they told me that they believed he had a sick heart. But they didn't really say much more at that point. Wow. So you're recovering from this traumatic birth, this extremely long labor, and you've been told your baby has a sick heart. How long were the two of you in the hospital? He was transferred to a pediatric NIC unit the following day, and he spent 12 days there, and then I was able to take him home. When you took him home, did they give you a bunch of monitors or did they put him on a lot of medicine? He didn't have any monitors and he was only on two different medications. He was on digoxin, which is a heart medication, and Lasix, which is a diuretic. Then he had monthly cardiology appointments with EKGs and echoes. So they sent him home on just digoxin and Lasix. So they mustn't have been too terribly concerned. Yeah, typically people can last a really long time with cardiomyopathy. A lot of people have it and don't realize it until years later. Unfortunately, because he had that massive heart attack when he was born, it kind of set him up to fail. So he only had like four and a half months with his native heart before he went into heart failure. Wow, that's just amazing to me that it would go bad so quickly and that you would have to face that. What were the warning signs that led you to know that he was going to require a heart transplant? You know, I was pretty young and I was uneducated. They didn't really tell me a lot of stuff to look for. And the internet wasn't what it is now. So there wasn't the ability to really research. It's kind of crazy how it happened because just in the course of a weekend, he just kind of went downhill. But I thought that it was just a normal baby cold You know, he was kind of lethargic. His complexion didn't look great, but he's a pale guy anyway with the strawberry blonde hair. And he slept a lot. He had some feeding difficulties, a little bit of labored breathing. But I just thought it was a typical little infant thing. It was the winter time, so people get sick in the winter. He ended up having a cardiology appointment that Monday. I brought him in. They did his echo. They did his EKG. And they told me that he was going to have to go to the emergency room. They actually didn't even call an ambulance. They had a nurse drive us in her minivan. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Because that would have been faster than waiting for a transport team. Yeah. And then once we got to the emergency room at the pediatric hospital, I don't really want to say the name of it. They basically told me that they believed he needed a heart transplant and they don't perform that there. So the next day they were going to transport him to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which I'm eternally grateful that they did because CHOP has saved my son's life on numerous occasions. And to me, it's really the best children's hospital in the world. I know there are a lot of people who would agree with you. It certainly is world renowned for the good work that they do. That just blows my mind that you went for a regular cardiology appointment and then they said, oh, we're taking you to the emergency room and oh, he needs a heart transplant. I mean, you must have been in shock. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I only had one person maybe mention 
the possibility of a heart transplant, but it was kind of in passing. It was one of the NICU nurses. It wasn't even a cardiologist that said that to me. So That's a lot to have to absorb, and especially if you are a really young mother. Yeah. It was kind of a crash course. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, first you have a crash course on delivering a baby. Then you have a crash course on having a baby who has a bad heart. And now, okay, we're looking at heart transplantation. That's just a lot for a young mother to have to absorb in all of that in six months time. Yeah. Unbelievable. So it sounds like once you got past that and he received his part, which only waiting a week or so, that's pretty amazing. Wow, that's just really remarkable. And then you had eight good years with Xavier. Yeah, he had your typical transplant stuff going on, you know, in and out of the hospital for different viral infections and a couple minor episodes of rejection, but nothing substantial or anything. He was able to live a pretty typical life, go to school go on vacation, be around other kids. So, you know, I really do cherish those first eight years. Absolutely. Well, how did you know that he was developing transplant coronary artery disease or TCAD? It kind of, over the course of about a year to a year and a half, he just, he started getting sick more often and it was harder for him to recover from them. I started noticing little things like It would take him longer to walk to and from school. His stamina decreased. His complexion started to change. The only way that you can really diagnose transplant coronary artery disease is getting a cardiac catheterization and having an angiogram. And the day before he had his cardiac catheterization, you know, they do the pre-admission testing. And I just, I had this feeling and I saw it on the echo. It's very, very difficult to see on the echo. Somehow, some way I knew that his echo was off. And when he went into the cath lab, I told him, I said, watch, you're going to see transplant coronary artery disease. Let me know if you do, because I have this feeling. And, you know, lo and behold, they came out and they said, somehow you managed to call this. Wow. So you went from being a naive young mother who didn't know anything to being able to diagnose your son's problem before they did. Yeah. And like I said, they were really shocked because usually that's something that you have to have a very distinguished eye to be able to read on an echo. I don't know if it was this mother's instinct or what it was, but when he had that echo, something inside of me just started panicking. And I knew I just I couldn't explain how I knew, but I just did. Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart and he said, no, Dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy. My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go. Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. 
Melanie, before the break, we were talking about Xavier's first heart transplant and the development of transplant coronary artery disease, which, according to my research, is the most significant cause of morbidity and mortality after transplant. So why don't you tell me now, after you correctly diagnosed and then had it confirmed by the medical professionals that your son actually did have transplant coronary artery disease, what did they do? Basically, they said that there's really no way that they can tell how fast it's going to progress. It's kind of a guessing game. They put him on an additional med, which it does help with the squeeze. And for some reason, it helps with the transplant coronary artery disease. And then after that, it was just basically closer monitoring. He went home on a Holter monitor for a couple days, just having him seen more frequently and me keeping a, a closer eye on him at home. Well, I'm sure the medical professionals were impressed that you picked up on what was wrong with him before they even knew what was wrong with him. I mean, that's great. That shows how in tune you were with your son. So I'm sure that was helpful to them. So you said they sent him home on an extra drug. I guess it was kind of like digoxin then that helped the heart to squeeze better. Is that right? Yes, it's called Rapimune. They sent him home with this additional drug to help the heart pump better. And with you monitoring him with a halter monitor, it sounds to me like you were seeing a cardiologist more often. How long was it before they knew that he would have to be listed again for another transplant? Well, basically, we found out in the beginning of May, and they said that we want to get him listed by the end of the summer. We want to give him the summer, though, to be a typical kid and try to enjoy himself before he has to worry. And the only way that they could list him was if they told him. So that's why we decided to give him the whole summer. Yeah. So it was basically like a summer where I had to keep a dirty secret and just kind of, you know, hawkeye him and be a helicopter parent without him realizing it. So you have a plan. The doctors have a plan. Luckily, Mm -hmm. Xavier is oblivious to the plan. (laughs) He's just enjoying his summer. He's out of school for the summer. He's just having a good time. But something had to happen that triggered him having to go into the hospital. Or was it just on the schedule that on a certain date you were going to bring him to the hospital? Well, we already had the date for the cardiology visit where we told him. That was at the end of August. He was listed on August 31st. Closer to the end of September, instead of it taking 10 minutes for him to walk someplace, it was taking him a half an hour because he was needing breaks. I had him at CHOP quite a bit for difficulty with breathing, labored breathing, and they were saying that it was his asthma. The week that he was admitted, he was at the emergency room on Monday a follow-up with the pediatrician on Tuesday, the emergency room on Wednesday, a follow-up with the pediatrician on Thursday. Friday was his final emergency room visit, and I finally got them to admit him. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. After a week like that? Yeah. Clearly, there is something major going on, and to keep going back over and over. And the emergency room is the last place you want a kid who is sick. Because then they're going to pick up who knows what. Exactly. And, you know, even with albuterol every four hours around the clock, and they had put him on steroids at that point, he was just, he was retaining fluid. He was having a hard time eating because he was retaining so much fluid, and it was getting to be quite a mess. So I'm glad that they finally admitted him. So he's in the CHOP pediatric ward. Mm -hmm. Was he in the ICU? 
No, he was not in the ICU at that point. He was still in the regular step-down cardiac unit, thankfully. And so now they're monitoring him, and you're suspecting this is not asthma. No. This is something else. It sounds to me like congestive heart failure. That's exactly what was happening. And I kept telling them this is bigger than just asthma. This is his heart. It's running out of time. But the only way, like I said, that you could know that is to do a cardiac catheterization and an angiogram. And they didn't want to have to subject him to too many of those with his heart in the condition that it was. Right. I understand that. So they've got him in a pediatric ward. They're trying all different kinds of things to see what they can do to help him without Mm -hmm. being invasive. And that's the problem with the catheterization. It's a very invasive procedure. Yes. They typically have to go in through the groin and the neck. So I'm assuming that's exactly what they had to do. Yeah, it wasn't your typical cath. It was an emergency cath. They had him on the telemetry monitor and one of our favorite nurses, she had worked with adults before and she saw what's called a tombstone. Usually that only happens in adults. So when they all came rushing into his room, expecting to find him passed out, he was sitting there playing video games and they were completely shocked. To be clear, the tombstone is actually an EKG reading, right? Yes. You know, after they saw that, they said, okay, we need to act. We're not going to hold off on this cath anymore. We're going to do it tomorrow, and we're going to hope that maybe we could place some stents in there to buy some time. Some stents in the coronary arteries? Yes, because it's basically like if you think of the branches on a tree, the branches were starting to die off in his heart. Transplant coronary artery disease is a chronic long-term rejection where the heart is inflamed and it swells up and then those branches die off from lack of oxygen. Wow. So he's in the hospital. They've identified the tombstone reading on the EKG, Mm -hmm. which is very serious. Decide to do the catheterization they were dreading having to do. But of course, it shows them, yes, there's definitely inflammation. This is not a good situation. We have to act. Were they able to put stents in the coronary arteries? Unfortunately, they were never able to get to that point. Once they got him into the cath lab, they realized that he was a lot sicker than appearances let on. That's when he ended up having to be put on ECMO, which is the most extreme form of life support. It's total heart-lung bypass. Right. Now, do I remember correctly that he had strokes prior to being put on the ECMO? No, actually, the strokes didn't come until he was on the Berlin Heart. Oh, okay. So the order is he shows the tombstone. They realize he needs to have this catheterization. Then they get him in a cath lab and they say, oh my goodness, forget the stents. This is too major. We're not Mm going to be able to do that. Did they immediately go to the Berlin Heart after that? Well, he had seven days on ECMO. And after the fourth or fifth day, his circuits started to get a little weird and act funky. With the Berlin Heart, you actually have to have him measured and it's custom made. So it takes a couple days for it to actually be made and ship. So he's on ECMO. They see things are going in a bad direction. And they told you, we think we're going to need this ventricular assist device called a Berlin heart. We're taking the measurements. You're going to have to wait a few days. Were you scared? Absolutely, without a doubt. Just seeing ECMO itself, it's a very intimidating piece of medical equipment. 
and your child is completely knocked out. They really don't like movement because there's giant cannulas in their neck. And if you move around, you could break that cannula and then you're hemorrhaging. So it's it's very, very intimidating to see. Yeah, I can imagine. What kind of prognosis did they give you? You know, there are children that are able to successfully transition from ECMO to the Berlin Heart. ECMO is a very, very short-term, temporary type of solution. Most kids, they don't suggest anything longer than a month. That's really pushing it. So a week was kind of, it was long and sketchy, but there are success stories, and thankfully Xavier is one of them. Well, it sounds to me like you are in the right place. Because CHOP is the kind of hospital that would have seen children on ECMO and would have been able to tell you, oh yeah, we've had kids on ECMO who have been able to transition off of it. So it wasn't a death sentence. No. And you know, when you said the right place, that's kind of Xavier's whole theme is the right place at the right time. And the funny thing about the uh, Berlin Heart was it had just been FDA approved here in the States in December of 2011. And when he was put on the Berlin Heart, it was October of 2012. So, again, right place at the right time. Yeah, he was one of the first ones to receive that special assist device. Mm -hmm. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect or CHD community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. So as we've said repeatedly during this show, it sounds like you were so lucky to be at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia with Xavier. Not all hospitals use the Berlin Heart, and not all hospitals perform thrombectomies. So when I got your bio and I was reading about these thrombectomies, my goodness, Melanie, this was the first time for me to hear this word. I had to go out on the internet and research it. And so then I discovered not all hospitals do thrombectomies, that there are two different kinds of thrombectomies that can be done. One is where they actually remove the blood clot, and the other is where they use medicine to try to break up the blood clot. So tell us about the thrombectomies that were done on Xavier? Well, first, it was definitely not something that they had done there. They had to bring over one of the top neurosurgeons from the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, which is directly next door to CHOP. They brought him over and he explained that he hadn't done this on a child before and he really couldn't give us a prognosis at that point. He was going to do his best. And they basically went in through the artery in his neck up to his brain and they remove the blood clots that way. That is just amazing to me. So for those of you who maybe this was a little bit fast for us to get into it, what happened prior to this was that Xavier presented as having a stroke. 
Yes, and we're very lucky that it happened in front of the nurse. Another nurse who has had experience with adults, so he was able to recognize the stroke symptoms right away. He's punching me on the arm, waking me up, saying, you have to help me. He's not responding. I jump up. They realize that he's had a stroke, and they just kind of boom, 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 all the all the right actions were taken, and he was taken down to interventional radiology where he was able to have this procedure performed. From the research that I did, Melanie, time is of the essence. If you don't catch this fast enough, there's nothing that can really be done. Exactly, and with the way everything played out for him and the way he was able to get this procedure and the success, the immediate reperfusion that they were able to see after they removed the blood clots, you know, they talk about him in neurology conferences around the world. That's just amazing. So he had one stroke in front of them. Did he have the other stroke while they were in the operating theater? Or did he come back to his room and then have another one? No, he came back to his room. This was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving that the first one happened. He came back to his room and he actually didn't have the other one until he had a diaphragm plication surgery, probably about two weeks before his actual transplant. We had like a month and a half in between these episodes. So after the first one, when they did the thrombectomy, did all of the symptoms go away? Was he completely symptom-free? For the most part, yeah. He did have some right-sided weakness, but there was no paralysis like he initially presented. Wow. That's just amazing. So did they immediately start doing some physical therapy with him or did they just decide let's wait until he gets his heart? We did start some physical therapy. Unfortunately, he was very much bedridden because he was still intubated. One of the side effects of open heart surgery is you can have diaphragm paralysis because they accidentally cut the nerve. So one of his diaphragms was down and it rode high. So he was never able to get the lung volume that he needed when he breathed. So he was not able to come off of the breathing tube. Whatever physical therapy we did, it was limited because he was stuck in bed. Sure. So we had to do like range of movement type type of things. So it was more you moving him than him volitionally moving himself. Yes. Unfortunately, the best that we could do as far as ventilatory support is he was able to come off of the breathing tube and be put on the BiPAP and CPAP. But it was still a lot of extra support. When he was on BiPAP and CPAP, he was able to get out of bed, but he was so tired and just so weak that his ability to actually perform PT was very limited. That's ultimately why he ended up needing a trach after his transplant was for the purpose of rehabbing. Wow. This poor kid went through so much. He really did. Oh, my goodness. So he's had two strokes. He's on this Berlin heart. How long was it that he was on a transplant list before he got his second heart? He was on the Berlin for about four and a half months before the heart became available. Wow, that's a long time to be on a biventricular assist device. Yes, it's a very dangerous type of situation. They're on continuous heparin. He had hemorrhaged out before. So it was definitely difficult. In those four and a half months, he maybe had a dozen decent days, and the rest of them were very minute by minute for him. Were you living in the hospital with him? Yes. I was fortunate enough that my mother was still around. She was still alive, so she was able to be financially supportive and work full-time so that I could be 
by his bedside. Wow. I have a feeling that made a huge difference for Xavier. Yeah, I was very fortunate. I was able to be at every single round where the doctors come outside of the room and they discuss the plan for the day. I was very fortunate that I was able to keep up with all of their medical lingo and stay on top of things and be able to offer my input. The great thing about CHOP is if you're dedicated, they want to know what what you think has to be done too. You become a part of the team because, you know, you're the eyes. You're the one who's always there. Oh my goodness, it should be that way. Plus you have that mother's intuition, which you had already proven when you diagnosed the TCAD. Yeah. Tell us about the day that he got the gift of life the second time. You know, sleep's very hard to come by when you're in that situation. So I did manage to fall asleep and I got woken up by his cardiologist and the fantastic surgeon that had put him on ECMO, that had given him the Berlin heart. They came by, they woke me up for rounds and they said, hey, we think we have a potential heart for him. It's not set in stone. Don't get too excited. We have to make sure that this heart is viable. And that was at about eight o'clock in the morning. By 12 o'clock, they said, this is the heart that we want to go with. He might need plasmapheresis, which is basically cleaning of antibodies out of the blood. Somehow, some way, miraculously, he did not need that. You know, antibody-wise, it was like the perfect match. By 7 o'clock, he was able to head on into the OR. And then after midnight was when they were able to actually place the heart because the heart took a little bit longer getting there. So it was definitely a whirlwind type of day. Just trying to be patient, but not lose your mind in the process. Right. Did he have to be completely without food that entire time? Yeah, but because he was on the breathing tube and stuff, he hadn't eaten anything in months. He wasn't allowed to eat or drink. So that wasn't such a big deal for him. So he goes into the operating theater, you said at midnight? He went in at about 7 that evening, so about 11 hours after they told us they had a potential heart for him. So he goes in to the operating theater at about 7 p.m., And how long was that operation? It clocked in at a little over seven hours because it wasn't just the transplant that had to take place. They had to remove the Berlin heart device as well. And because he had been on heparin for so long, there was a lot of bleeding. They had to locate a source of the bleeding before they could even bring him out of the OR Thankfully, his doctor was extremely diligent in finding the source of the bleeding so she could do her best to stop it before he came out, which I think was what really saved his life. Dr. Stephanie Fuller at CHOP, she's our angel on earth. She's saved him so many times. Wow. So he came back, and when you saw him, what did you think? I noticed that his color had gotten better. But it was, you know, it was still very traumatizing. He was still losing a lot of blood. And it wasn't all that much different from ECMO seeing him, except for he wasn't as bloated. And like I said, his color looked better. Like you could see him pinking up just before your eyes. Oh, wow. It was still very scary, but you knew that things were heading in the right direction. How long was he knocked out before he started to come out of it? It was like three to five days. Oh, wow. It was quite a while just because it was such a traumatic surgery for him and he had lost so much blood that they just wanted to keep him as still as possible for him to heal. So they let him rest. It sounds like he really needed to rest after everything that he had done to him. I imagine just removing a Berlin heart, that was 
fairly traumatic to begin with since he was on heparin. But then to, on top of that, add taking out a heart and putting in a brand new heart, oh my goodness, that's major. It's actually quite impressive that the team was able to get it done as quickly as they did. I'm kind of speechless when you put it that way. But yeah, they absolutely were just amazing with the amount of time that it took them and the state that he was in going into the surgery. And, you know, they really did amazing things with my son. They took fantastic care of him. They took it really personal. It sounds like it. It sounds like he became part of CHOP. Yeah, he was a CHOP kid just about his whole life. And he's their rock star. You know, that's what they say because of everything that he endured and survived and his outcome and everything. And how is he doing today? He's getting ready to go into his sophomore year of high school. He's completely ambulatory. He has use of his legs, his arms. He goes on vacation. I was able to actually take him to Tokyo for a week last year, which was very, very scary being 6,700 miles away from CHOP in a place where I had to learn very little bits of conversational Japanese to survive. But we had a great time. And the best part of all was he didn't even get sick at all. Like he didn't catch anything on the plane. He came home. I was expecting him to be sick. Nope, he was fine. Oh, that's such a wonderful story. Yeah. He's living the kind of life you would wish for your son. Yes. His vocal cords were damaged, so his voice is a little raspy, and he's not running marathons, but he's not a sporty type of kid anyway. He's more of like a play video games and hang out with his friends anyway. I can't complain. (laughs) Did his diaphragm completely heal? Unfortunately, no. He had one side plicated, which is where they pull down the diaphragm muscle and tack it to the abdominal wall. Unfortunately, with his transplant, the other diaphragm was compromised. So he has one that rides a little bit high and the other one is tacked down into place. I was told that the typical adult will get 11 ribs worth of lung expansion. X gets about nine. Okay. So it's okay. He can talk normally and make himself heard. It doesn't impede his breathing. It doesn't probably put him at too much more of a risk for pneumonia. No, he's able to clear his airways and all that stuff. If he gets a little bit of a respiratory thing, he needs a little bit of extra help with albuterol and some chest PT. But otherwise, he's able to recover well from those types of things. Well, this is just one of the most miraculous stories I've heard with so many things for one little guy to have to go through. Honestly... I've lived it with him by his side. That whole journey to second transplant, it's been five and a half years since his second transplant. And when I talk about it, I'm still like, I can't believe that that was something that we lived through, that that happened to my baby. Yeah, I think sometimes when we go through traumatic experiences like that, you look back and you almost feel like it happened to somebody else. Yeah, you feel like that's like maybe a movie or something, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't feel like it's actual real life The traumas are still there in your heart, but you definitely see it as an outside of yourself experience when you explain it to other people. I think that's a way for us to compartmentalize it so that we can still have our normal life. I mean, normal for us is not like normal for other people, but (laughs) that's the way that we can try and have some kind of normal life. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Melanie, and sharing your amazing story. Like I said, thank you for inviting me. I feel honored and I'm very glad to be able to tell X's story and to provide insight and hope for anybody else that might be going through a similar situation.
Well, I think that this story is definitely one that will provide hope. And that does conclude today's episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today, my friends. Find us on iTunes and subscribe. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.